Hey everyone, welcome to the latest installment of the Climbing Advocate Podcast, episode number 56, a conversation with Eric Murdoch, Access Fund's VP of Policy and Government Affairs and their current interim executive director. I welcomed Eric back to the show for the first time since his first appearance back in January of 2020 when we talked about the top five threats to public lands. We circled up this time to talk about, yet again, major threats, but this time one major threat in particular to climbing more specifically, and that is the potential prohibition of fixed anchors in wilderness. Eric was the obvious choice as a guest to speak on this topic and get us all more acquainted with what's going on with the federal agencies that are drafting up their policies on how they see fixed anchors being managed in wilderness. We kick things off with a background on climbing in wilderness and a timeline of policies, guidance, and orders that have been put in place dating back to 1964 when the Wilderness Act was passed during the Johnson administration. But the big question being asked right now is why? Why a prohibition on fixed anchors now? But Eric is quick to remind us that this didn't just get sprung on us all of a sudden necessarily, and it has been an issue that the Access Fund has been working on basically since the organization's inception back in 1991. So it's been a 30 plus year battle to find a common ground on a national level policy regarding managing the hardware that allows us climbers to have an unconfined and primitive experience in wilderness. In November of this year, 2023, the National Park Service and the U.S. Forest Service both released their respective management guidance on how they might manage fixed anchors in the future. This guidance will have serious implications on the future of climbing in wilderness if it gets implemented. Fortunately, we have an opportunity to provide our comments on the guidance. A comment period is now open until January 16th for both agencies. You got to submit comment for each agency separately. This is a huge opportunity to let them know how management of fixed anchors can be approached in a pragmatic way that does not burden the agencies and still allows us to climb these routes in these spectacular places in a safe and sustainable way. So once more, please leave your feedback for them at the links in your show notes before January 16th. With all that, though, there is legislation working its way through Congress that could help alleviate some of our concerns, and that's the Protect America's Rock Climbing Act, or the PARC Act for short. This will help establish a national-level policy that will protect wilderness climbing and allow for the responsible placement and replacement of fixed anchors in wilderness. A lot of questions, perhaps unsurprisingly, have been born out of this matter, and we thought needed to get addressed to help clear some things up that might have been unclear before. So let me know what you think about this one. I hope to bring you all some more episodes on nerdy policy stuff so we can all have a better handle on what's impacting access to our beloved climbing resources. So let's get into it here. Please enjoy my conversation with Access Fund's VP of Policy and Government Affairs and their current interim executive director, Eric Murdoch. Enjoy. Before we get into the episode, I'd like to give thanks and show some love for the sponsors and supporters of the show. Black Diamond, Adidas Turex, Alpine Star Coffee, and Plotone Audio. Thank you all for the continued support of the Climbing Advocate podcast and dedication to the climbing community. I had you on, gosh, I didn't even look back to see, but I think it was episode 15 which was like 42 episodes ago. 
meaning like three or four years ago, you know, an early one. And that conversation was, it was about like the top five or top 10 threats to public lands or something. I forget. Yeah. I didn't look back to, to remember exactly, but it was something along those lines. So here we are circling back three, four years later, talking about another threat to, to climbing specifically, not just public lands, but climbing specifically. And that's fixed anchors in wilderness. Which has been, a, I mean, it's been a hot topic, for, I think, for a long time and something the Access Fund has been, had a pulse on for a long time and been involved with for a long time. So the the stuff is really hitting the fan, so they say. So I'm psyched to have, uh, have you on this morning, Eric, and provide some expertise for us because, as you mentioned before we jumped on, you've gotten a lot of questions. I've gotten a lot of questions. There's some ambiguity floating around out there, so I think we could take the next hour to maybe smooth some of this out and, and get some questions answered. So yeah, with that, uh, yeah. I mean, how's it going? Like, what's, what's, what's going on with you? I want to get a little update on what's going on with you. Well, thanks for having me. We're recording right now, right? Oh, we're going, we're in it. We're in. Um, yeah. So this is the big focus right now. Um, it's sort of what the Access Fund has been working on, like you said, for, for really 30 years. It's interesting that when you recollect on the conversations that you and I have had, um, I've also been been thinking about conversations, for example, that I've had with Armando Menical, the, the founder of the Access Fund. And um, you might know this, but the Access Fund, we moved our office. We, had, we, we moved our office um, several months ago. Yep. And in doing so, we we digitized um, boxes and boxes and boxes of archived documents, and it reminded me of of some of the issues and 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 some of the tactics and and some of the strategies that were implemented in the early '90s. And when we were going through those documents, and a lot of those were 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 um, written by Armando or Armando was referenced. Um, it's really the same the same discussions, you know, and that is um, how should wilderness designated wilderness in the United States um, regard fixed anchors, and a lot of the arguments um, and really the work that was done back in the early '90s was was incredible, um, uh, and and they did the same thing, talked to congressional members, rallied um climbers of course there was a lot fewer climbers but but um the work really has been the same so so it reminds me that this this issue has been something that access fund has been deeply involved in for 31 years um so so generally i think the the, the way the way that the the issue is 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 described early on is sort of um are fixed anchors um, allowable um, or are they prohibited installations um, in designated wilderness? It's really as simple as that. But in actuality, the issue is not simple because there's a lot of context and climbing has been something that's been conducted in, you know, in the United States for over a hundred years and wilderness areas get designated on top of climbing areas. And climbers who are senators, like Senator Mark Udall, and we can talk about that later, created wilderness. And 
created wilderness with the intent of celebrating climbing. So there's a lot of, of, of sort of gray area and there are a lot of reasons why um, climbing is special and, 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 should, and climbing has deep seated roots um, in the wilderness movement and, and at wilderness areas. So it's not as simple as just saying that um, a helicopter is not allowable in the, in the wilderness. This is, this is a much more complicated issue. And um, yeah, let's dive into it. Yeah, that's a lot of gray area. Um, so we were together in Arkansas a few weeks, I don't know, over a month ago now for the Access Funds annual conference. And there was a bolting, rebolting clinic on that Saturday at the conference the second day. And you kicked us off with a really awesome history and background of, of just wilderness climbing and fixed hardware and anchors in wilderness. And I think you really had everyone's attention during that, you know, 10, 15 minutes you're up there. Can we kick that off? Can we kick our, our our conversation off with that? And if you remember everything you said, but it was it was just really good. It was so thorough, Eric, and I was really uh, really impressed with what you had to say. So can we start uh, off with you. that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can talk about that. That was a great conference in Arkansas, and that really opened my. I'm continually reminded how extensive climbing is in this country, and how different communities have sort of taken climbing and 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 adapted it to their own um you know the geology and the climbing resources in their area and their own style and it was really fun to see the arkansas style because mm -hmm. it's very cool it's totally. very cool there yeah um so yeah i think you know a lot of people were really interested in the history because um rightfully so they want to understand how did we get to this point that's the natural question that's the smart question when we meet with 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 you know climbing advocates and congressional members they asked that question what how did we get here and in fact that's the question that was asked in a committee hearing just a couple of weeks ago yeah a couple of congress people said like what is, what is going on why are we here so um i mean really when we go back to 30 years ago we can we 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 see the beginnings of this of this issue the beginnings really started very close to where i um did a lot of my early climbing and that's that's in the superstition mountains just east of phoenix arizona um there um there was an issue where where uh, a photographer noticed a bunch of bolts in this place called zonerland and 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 it, and it is a designated wilderness it's on the peralta trail um on the way to weaver's needle if anyone's been out to weaver's needle it's this wild volcanic feature um in the wilderness and, and Zonerland is this sport climbing area on volcanic tuff similar to queen creek the oak flat climbing area mm. and um and the and the photographer um reported to the forest service hey there's some climbing routes that 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 are that look like they shouldn't be there and that was the beginning and the forest service there had to figure out what do we do with these things are they allowed are they not allowed are they um, abandoned property are they the damages to the natural resources are they illegal installations um and that's really where it all got started um then in in i'll fast forward to in in, in 1999 the forest service got serious about this and they they initiated a process called a negotiated rulemaking that was actually conducted after senator gordon um uh from washington um uh wrote an appropriations rider that said that um, the Forest Service had to do some 
some more meaningful uh, formal rulemaking if they want to start like shutting down climbing areas. And I think that the spirit of that is 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 really important because um, I think what what the Congress was saying then is climbing has been you know, uh, 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 an American uh, pastime and, and important to America's recreation legacy for so long, if an agency is going to is going to do a 180 and say fixed anchors are allowed and not allowed, then really it should involve involve the American public. There should be a lot of consideration. There should be stakeholders involved. We need to hear, um, you know, from from wilderness advocates. We need, need to hear from climbing advocates. We need to hear from other people who have stake in, in wilderness before we make any big decisions. So they held this thing called the negotiated rulemaking process, which is where you get a bunch of stakeholders together and they discuss the issue and they try to reach consensus. Um, well, that that negotiated rulemaking lasted. Um, it went into uh, 2000 from 1999 to 2000 and the group um, which which had a broad based um, representation of stakeholders did not reach consensus. And there was really one group that that could not concede that fixed anchors um, should be considered um, allowable. And that that group is actually called the Wilderness Watch. And they're still the ones who are um, really pressing on um, the agencies to um, to consider fixed anchors as prohibited. Um, all the other groups um, um, agreed that some amount of fixed anchors is 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 appropriate in wilderness because climbing is such a wilderness dependent activity and getting out and exploring in the wilderness and having these wild adventures and getting up and down mountains safely is is really critical to the purposes of the Wilderness Act, which include um, recreational purposes, historical purposes, ecological purposes, scenic purposes, um, and a few others. And 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 really, climbing fits squarely um, within the wheelhouse of of the Wilderness Act. So that is is a conundrum. And 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 the Wilderness Act clearly states that that primitive and unconfined um, recreation like climbing should be allowed. So so the Forest Service failed on that negotiated rulemaking and without a consensus, they were sort of left without the path forward to create the first um, national um, national level policy for, for managing fixed anchors. So um, that transcript is still around and the other agencies like the BLM and the, and the Park Service who both manage wilderness. And by the way, we know four agencies manage wilderness. So it's the Park Service, the Bureau of Land Management, um, fish and Wildlife, and that those those three agencies are on the Department of Interior side, and then on the Department of Agriculture side, we have the U.S. Forest Service. So all four agencies have to noodle over over how to how to manage climbing, and I think all the agencies kind of were thankful that the Forest Service went through that process because at least they got <laughs> sort of the feedback from stakeholders, and they they benefited from this this hearty discussion about what climbing and fixed anchors mean um, in wilderness. Well, in 2007, the Bureau of Land, Land Management issued sort of the first national level guidance. Um, it came in the form of an instruction memo, so it wasn't a high level policy, but it spoke to um, how to manage fixed anchors in BLM wilderness. And we know probably the most famous BLM wilderness climbing areas is Red Rock National Conservation Area outside of Vegas. And of course, that's super popular and there's, there's, there's so many um, incredible routes. Um, in that wilderness, um, and by the way, that wilderness was was designated in 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 this in this century. It's not a, it's not a wilderness designated in the in the 1900s. This is from the two, early 2000s. 
Um, but um, the BLM issued some guidance and basically said that BLM districts may um, require authorization for fixed anchors. So they may not, but they may decide that they need some sort, implement some sort of authorization. If you want to place a fixed anchor, you would perhaps have to make a request you know, to um, a land manager for, for authorization or permit to do that, but you don't necessarily have to. And really that makes sense for some BLM wilderness areas. As we all know, some of these places are so far out there and get so little traffic, it really wouldn't be enforceable or, or, or practical to, to require that. In 2012, they, they, they formalized um, those, those policies. So the BLM was kind of the first agency to, to, to set out and, 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 and actually make some, some very concrete assertions on how they regard um, climbing in wilderness. In 2013, the Park Service followed that, and they established um, uh, their national level fixed anchor policy in the format of a director's order. That's that's a that's a pretty high level policy in the Park Service. It's not the highest, but 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 the the Park Service has director's orders on a wide variety of 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 subject matter. For example, partnerships and resource management, and and there's director's orders that that provide like general high-level guidance to, to, to steer um, all of the, the park units. Um, you know, each park can make its own decisions um, by the superintendent, but the director's orders really provide the high-level guidance. And in 2013, Director's Order 41 was signed by um, Park Service Director John Jarvis, and it stated that fixed anchor authorization must be um, was required. So, so that's that's a little bit of a departure from the from the BLM policy, which says that that the BLM districts may require authorization. This is that this the, the Park Service required authorization, but they were clear that fixed anchor authorization could be um, programmatic. So that means that um, fixed anchors could be authorized across an entire park or the fixed anchor authorization could be case by case. And that would be, I want to place, put up a route or put in a, 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 some fixed anchor um, and, and I need specific authorization or permit for, um, for that. Um, so some examples are Yosemite National Park has programmatic authorization. So the, the leadership there evaluated climbing and said climbers are being responsible um, as long as they don't use power drills and and use um, fixed anchors judiciously in the spirit of the wilderness, um, then um, fixed anchors are allowed. Same thing at Rocky Nash, Rocky Mountain National Park. I should add, and I should have stated at the onset of this discussion, you know what a fixed anchor is, and it's important for for us all to realize that fixed anchors are anything left behind to ascend or descend vertical terrain. So that includes slings, pitons, fixed nuts. Um, and bolts, um, and and the person who defined who, who invented the definition of fixed anchor was once again Armando Menical, the founder of the Access Fund, who 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 was a civil rights attorney um, mm. and 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 a climber, and was really interested in bringing the climbing community together. Um, that's the basis for the Access Fund: is bringing all 
sectors of the climbing community, whether you're a boulder or a big wall climber, a sport climber, a trad climber, everyone had skin in the game. And that's why Armando invented the term fixed anchors, because it included a sling around a tree to get you off a big mountain in Alaska. But it also included, you know, um, bolts on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a climb, you know, that that was mostly protected by by bolts. Mm -hmm. So 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 Armando really strategically developed this definition to make sure that all climbers um, had skin in the game. Everyone uses fixed anchors. There's very, very few routes or areas where there's zero fixed anchors to get up or down a climbing route. And in fact, um, I actually spoke with him earlier this week about this issue and he didn't, he hadn't sort of thought that maybe fixed anchors would also be important to other groups and that his definition yeah. was so good. It would apply to, to other, um, to other recreation groups and it turns out that it does you know it it, it really um connects with backcountry skiers who sometimes have to wrap into couloirs and you know like i live in in estes park near rocky mountain national park and that's common practice um some paddlers need to lower their their, their boats into the water even hunters and anglers sometimes have to use fixed anchors to lower game out of complex terrain um, so, so those are just some examples, obviously canyoneers are wrapping into, to, to canyons, cavers. So this, this definition was really broad and connected a lot of, and turned out to connect a lot of different communities. Yeah. So let's go back to the park service. So the park service issued director's order 41 in 2013. And since then, different parks have been sort of implementing this policy in different ways. They had a lot of, of latitude to implement it in different ways. I gave two examples of programmatic, the uh, um, Rocky Mountain National Park and Yosemite National Park. But then there's also examples of case by case, like um, so, like uh, Sequoia Kings Canyon, where you, you have to um, apply, you actually have to pay 20 bucks for a special use permit, and then the park will evaluate your request for a fixed anchor. So that would be an example of a case by case. Now, all of these, um, all of these examples are should be prefaced by the fact that fixed anchors were, are not considered illegal or prohibited. They are just um, considered um, things that need to be managed to retain the integrity of, of wilderness character. And in fact, in Director's Order 41, this high level policy, it doesn't say that fixed anchors are prohibited installations. And it says that this fancy little tool called the minimum requirement analysis, which is really just a tool that you use to make exceptions for prohibited things or illegal things, like if you wanted a chainsaw or a helicopter to be used in wilderness for fighting fires, you would do an MRA. Um, it's Director's Order 41 specifically calls out the MRA process and says that that should be used for um, administrative uses like search and rescue. So if the park wants to use fixed anchors themselves to get someone off El Cap or to or to save someone in, in Joshua Tree backcountry, they have to do the MRA. But I think it was really explicit that MRA is specifically assigned to administrative uses and not assigned to recreational uses. And mm. GO 41 does not sort of regard fixed anchors in any way as 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 prohibited activities. That's a really good distinction, the administrative use versus the recreational use for the MRAs. I think that that was really intentional. And um, I had a close connection with the, the head of wilderness at the time. His name was Gary Oley, and I had actually worked for him when I was working in the, in the Forest Service Regional Office in California. 
um, back at the at the turn of the century. Um, and we had a lot of a lot of discussions about this. And DO forty one, Director's Order forty one was very intentional. And I think that when you really dig into why it was crafted that way, and specifically this 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 topic that we're talking about now, you know, why did they specifically mention MRA just for search and rescue and not for recreational use? I think that was the intention of that was to clarify that um, fixed anchors are, are are not prohibited because MRA is used for prohibited uses. Mm -hmm. um, so so that was 2013. We still remember don't have any national policy for the Forest Service, and it's interesting that the Forest Service you know manages more climbing than any agency or body or public private landowner in, in the United States. The Forest Service actually manages almost 30% of all climbs in wilderness. Now a subset, a small subset of that is actually in designated wilderness, but there's there's a lot of climbs in designated wilderness. And I would argue that many of the world's best climbs are actually in designated wilderness. So there's there's a lot, there's a lot at stake here. And um, and then I would end with this is, you know, why does the Forest Service not have any national guidance? Well, it's not because they haven't tried. Because um, over the past 20 years or so since the negotiated rulemaking, they've actually attempted to create different Forest Service manuals. So their version of high level policy um, in order to develop some guidance. And every time for a variety of different reasons, they've sort of shelved those efforts. So the Forest Service really, when you think about it, has squandered um, millions of dollars trying to develop um, national level climbing policy and has never been successful. So now's the time and we've actually been urging them to do so. And the reason why it's so important for the Forest Service to have national level policy is because um, the Forest Service is revising all of its forest plans across the country mm -hmm. since 2012. 2012 was when the Forest Service passed this law that said, hey, here's this new rule on how we, we, um, we revise our forest plans. And all these forest plans that, that have climbed, all these forests that have climbing areas in them are going to have to address climbing. And it's really important that we have some national policy that gives some sideboards to the um, to the to the forest supervisors and the and the leadership of these forests so that they know how to how to develop this policy. Right now, the forest plans that have been coming out since that 2012 planning rule all sort of punt and say we're going to wait for, for for national level guidance and they don't address um climbing in any any real detail so some examples of that would be like piscinantahela and in north carolina which gives some general guidance but but really punts the issue down to when the forest service can actually fulfill their commitment to to establishing some national level process Whew. All right. Well, grab, grab yourself a drink there. That was, that was a lot. <laughs> Sorry if I went too deep. Oh, no, but... that was excellent. Excellent. Uh, excellent background. Excellent history and timeline. So let's fast forward to 20. Uh, so you mentioned there was a hearing on the Explore Act a couple of weeks ago. That's what you referred to a little bit ago. And Sasha DeJulian was there to testify on behalf of the climbing community and talk about this this very issue. And she was asked by a member of Congress, like, why? Why is this happening? Why now? What's the impetus for this? And, you know, she 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 provided her testimony. And then I believe the gentleman that was there from the Park Service spoke up. Or was it the Forest Service? I can't Forest remember which Service. Forest Service. Yeah. He mentioned something else that I didn't know. And 
was there something that they were directed to do a couple of years ago? Was it in 2021, part of the omnibus omnibus bill? Um, Could you shed some light on that? Yeah. Um, And then hopefully we can go back and talk about like, what is the Explore Act and this, and what is the Park Act? Yes. But, but basically I think you're that, right. Your question is, you know, the, the, the Congress is listening to this testimony and Sasha did a great job and was talking about how she, um, how she climbs in wilderness and how she started climbing. And she was, she was, she was saying some really inspirational things about, about what climbing means and how longstanding climbing is in, in, in the United States and in wilderness and what it caused the, the committee members, the folks who were running the hearing to do was to think, then why is this happening? We have this, we have this, um, this, this, this climbing community that's so committed to wilderness and the environment and they're doing these inspirational things. Why, why would we be banning or prohibiting the, you know, one of the fundamental tools that allows for this very um, wilderness dependent and appropriate activity. And, and they kick the question over to Chris French from the Forest Service. And he says, well, you know, um, there was an appropriations rider that said that the Forest Service had to come up with regulations. Now, that is true. There was an appropriations rider, and it kind of followed this last 30 or 20 years of work really on this, where the Congress has been asking the Forest Service, the climbing community has been asking the Forest Service, the Forest Service has been attempting to, to, to establish climbing guidance. So it was interesting that, that he picked up on sort of like the last mandate for the Forest Service, but really, um, he could have answered that in a couple different ways. It, it, that was certainly um, truthful and honest. And, that, and Chris French from the Forest Service is a is a um, really um, good guy and 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 an honest character, and and really does um, I think support the climbing community. But 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 he said that you know there's a requirement um, to create this these rules. But really, what the the, the question was not, why are you making a national level rule for climbing? Because the Forest Service has been trying to do that for 20 years, starting in right. 1999. Right. The question was, why are you prohibiting fixed anchors? And that question wasn't answered. It was not, why are you creating national level guidance? It's yeah. why are you doing a crappy job and prohibiting fixed anchors in your guidance? And that didn't get answered. So I think that was an interesting distinction and, and, and um, yeah, he could have answered it in a couple different ways, but obviously that would have been a tough one to answer. Why are you, why are you uh, doing this guidance or establishing guidance that's kind of taking us on the wrong path? Yeah. Yeah. So that guidance came out almost a month ago, like to the day it was like November 16th, I think today's December 15th. So park service and the forest service, both release their separate guidances. They're not one and the same. They each have their own respective guidance. And the Forest Service, not only do they address, I mean, they're required to address the, address the wilderness component. They also addressed fixed hardware outside of wilderness, which yeah. was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I was expecting to see that because the Park Service, I mean, sorry, the Forest Service specifically, not the Park Service, um, um, really needs to, most of their climbing is outside of wilderness mm-hmm. and, you know, they're just grappling with, with, with the growth of climbers and, and, and they, and, um, and they, 
they might as well, you know, address climbing management in general, inside and outside of wilderness. So I wasn't that surprised by it. I okay. was surprised, however, by what the guidance said. Um, so essentially, you know, this is a tough nut to crack. This is a hard um, assignment for the Forest Service. How are you going to manage thousands and thousands of climbing areas, you know, you know, many tens of thousands of climbing routes um, that you don't know where they are, that you've allowed, um, that you've even promoted and provided, you know, parking and, and managed trails and 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 how are you going to um, to to address um, this 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 activity that that has been largely largely unmanaged for many many years and what they came up with was sort of basing their management model so now we're and just as to make it clear we're, we've switched to talking about non-wilderness yes so yes, so yes. so it's really important to this is where it gets complicated because now we're talking about non-wilderness so they were really clear to say look well outside of wilderness um power drills um are appropriate tools because you know often they, they they result in just a better a better vault and a, and a safer vault and a longer lasting vault better hole to to put a stainless steel bolt in um and they really based their management model on this idea of of climbing opportunities and they wrote this kind of like slightly odd definition for climbing opportunity um which essentially is based on existing um climbing and they said well you can put up roots on existing at existing climbing areas you know where we already have climbs where we already have started into that impact curve that we create that all recreation creates when we start introducing recreation to a landscape you know you see a lot of impact at the beginning and then it sort of flattens out and i think that was sort of the 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 logic behind that and then in areas where we don't have established climbs already, you would need to get authorization. So the Forest Service would have to actually go and look at that new cliff that, that was pristine and had didn't have any climbs on it already established, and they would do an analysis and, and determine whether um, whether climbing should be allowed there. You know, of course, the, the, the problem is we don't know if a, if a climb, if a, if a, if a cliff has been climbed at or not. I don't know if in 19, you know, 51, someone didn't, you know, climb some crack in the middle of a cliff or, or we don't report everything. I don't know if someone didn't boulder the sides and do a traverse. It's just a, um, it's an interesting attempt at managing climbing in non-wilderness. But I think the, the, the logic um, makes some sense, but the actual practical nature of that proposal is 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 not really something that could be implemented or enforced so it's a it's a it's a it's a problematic proposal for a lot of different reasons to sort of set to, to center climbing management non-wilderness around the concept of established climbing opportunities but it's interesting yeah. it's interesting it interesting i mean when you first hear that you might think like well no more opportunities for for new cliff development we're just stuck with what we got which is which is a lot we have a lot of climbing in the country already established but i don't know it, it, it does sound like it goes beyond that because it would require a uh, visitation by forest service staff and an analysis before anything would go would go to, would go in so, yeah right? i mean the pessimist would say right this this would prohibit um 
establishing new routes on Forest Service non-wilderness. And the optimist would say, well, you know, the, the Forest Service could potentially go out and evaluate crags and, and, and give those crags the okay. The, pro mm -hmm. the other problem that we didn't mention is that these policies don't come with any money. And, 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 and the policies are very clear and they say, you know, when resources and, and allow, you know, and, 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 and funding resources, staff resources and funding allows, we'll get to these things, both in wilderness and, and out. So that's a little bit of a scary proposition because as we know the the forest service and really all federal agencies are underfunded and strapped and, and, and have, um, don't have enough staff to manage. So do we right. really think that these agencies are going to take time out of their important days, um, daily um, tasks to, to, to evaluate and, and, and give an honest and, 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 and thorough um, evaluation of new crags? I'm, I'm just not sure that's going to happen. The other yeah, thing to consider right. is, you know, you're saying there are a lot of routes on Forest Service land, and that's true. But, you know, when we started this conversation, we were talking about the last time you and I spent time together in Arkansas. It's like, that's a good example there climbing is being developed doesn't have as long of a history as say in colorado or in new hampshire you know in there are a lot of um opportunities for establishing new crags on forest service land actually yeah. on on in 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 western arkansas northwest arkansas and i think it's important to remember that um this is an incredible uh, activity exploring and finding new new paths up vertical terrain and there's certainly more potential in this country it would be a real shame to um to switch off um the opportunity to, to have that experience i i mean personally some of my most memorable experiences are actually um exploring forest service land near near where i lived for a long time in tucson arizona and and really connecting with nature and, and 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 establishing new roots. So for me personally, there's a you know a deep appreciation for that sort of um, for that activity. And I think the climbing community also really appreciates it because not the uh, the large percentage of the climbing community doesn't do that, but it's really important in order to provide new opportunities to spread out use and to and to provide inspiration. So. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of problems with that non-wilderness uh, proposal. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I'm not a, like a, a root developer myself, but some people really are. And that's how they get like their jollies out of climbing, like just going to the sport crag and, and doing some hard roots or whatever. You know, it's it's all fun and stuff. But people really, especially if you've been climbing for a long time, they're getting more out of it. Just going to explore new zones and, and putting up new roots and stuff. That's how they really enjoy the sport these days. And that's what's cool about climbing. It just is your interest evolves over time, right? And having the opportunity for some folks is, is imperative. So yeah, thanks for that non-wilderness uh, discussion there. I, look, could I, add, could I add one thing to the non-wilderness discussion yeah, before please. we jump back into wilderness? And that's just that, you know, climbers need to understand also that there's a lot of us right now and, and some level of regulation is, is, is appropriate. And, and we, we don't want to negatively impact cultural resources or traditional values or, or natural resources like raptors or, you know, sensitive species of, of flora and fauna. Um, and in places where, you know, there are raptors, for example, climbers have been really good about 
um, accepting and complying with, with temporary seasonal closures. So this is not to say that Congress should run amok and, and, and damage the resources. This is saying that, um, and climbers are, are, are willing to accept that, saying that, um, you know, we need a, a workable policy that maybe is not based on this really vague, you know, un, um, impractical idea of was the climbing area established or not. So I, I think it's really important to make it clear that, and I think we have buy-in from a lot of the, from most of the climbing community that we need to be sensitive and that these other aspects of the landscape, like raptors and cultural resources, they're part of the climbing experience. They enrich the climbing experience and climbers for, you know, a century have been sort of like really um, appreciative for, for all of the aspects um, of the climbing landscape, not just the climbing itself. Yeah. So I think that that that's important when to mention when climbers are commenting on on proposals or even just talking with other people about you know what are the the, the values of of the climbing community and how do we see climbing um, being managed in the future in order to make sure that the environment is 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 conserved. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's that's been my takeaway too. Is we've been largely good stewards, largely. Uh, good proponents is for the overall environment. And when it comes to raptor closures and stuff, we, we seem to adhere by them. We're of course not perfect and don't nail it a hundred percent. But as we segue back into the wilderness conversation, climbers have also been proponents for wilderness too over the years. And, you know, if we get restricted here in some capacity, it's going to make it tougher, I think, for this community to get behind new wilderness designations. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with that, you know, and I think, um, right, we, we are going to be regulated or restricted in, uh, in wilderness. And, you know, one of the things about recreation in this century that differs from, you know, like the 60s, you know, the Wilderness Act was passed in 1964, is that there's just a lot more climbers, but there's a lot more people in general going into the backcountry, going onto public lands. So we have to be more considerate to other users. There's just more people sort of vying for, you know, access to, to, the, to, to the same piece of real estate. But um, the climbing community has been um, historically um, incredible advocates for wilderness. And it really starts way back in the 1950s when, when, when people were thinking about this concept of wilderness. And, you know, we have a great... Um, uh, leader in the climbing community, David Brower, who led the, the 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 Sierra Club and actually was affiliated with the American Alpine Club and the Access Fund. Some people don't know that, and I found some documents when we were digging through our <laughs> our, our boxes. But yeah, from David Brower, he was on a, a special advisory committee to the Access Fund. So that was really exciting to learn that David Brower had such a close relationship. Um, with the access fund, but but these were people who were pushing for um, wilderness, but were also climbers. And in fact, David Brower established roots and used fixed anchors. He was later asked that at the um, when Camp Four was was designated a, a national historic landmark, and he was asked that question, "What about fixed anchors?" And he's like, "You know, we got to be worried about more more important things than this." You, you got, you know, he was like, "This is this is ridiculous. I'm I'm, I'm fighting for wilderness." And yeah. conservation and you're you're asking me about you know fixed anchors this is this is a this is minor but but um but yeah historically the climbing community has supported wilderness 
and we've endorsed and supported wilderness designations. And that's why this, this issue right now, the, the proposed prohibition of fixed anchors in wilderness stings so much. I think, um, you know, if we fast forward to today from going from David Brower's support, you know, in the, in the late fifties and then helping, um, pass the, the wilderness act in 1964. And he was like, doing the same thing we're doing, going into Congress and, and talking about climbing and sharing pictures and getting congressional members pumped up and sort of connected with what climbing is. It's exactly what Sasha did two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. We have, you know, a long history of doing that. But um, a great piece was written by Senator Mark Udall, um, a, uh, an op-ed where he talks about his experience with climbing and his experience with introducing wilderness bills. And I thought that was really interesting and inspiring to read what his perspective was. Now, Senator Mark Udall is an interesting character. He used to be an outward, um, outward bound instructor and he's a great climber. I mean, really um, committed lifelong climber um, and he told me a story about, and he wrote about it in his, in his op-ed also about him in the mid seventies, climbing the diamond with his brother and they're up on the diamond and they didn't know whether they'd be able to pull it off in a day or two. And, and they got benighted and they're hanging from fixed anchors from a little portal ledge. And, and, um, and that's where he had a moment to sort of think about like, what is this place? Rocky mountain national park was already established. It was a, it was a national park, but it was not a wilderness. Um, and and he he thought a lot about how this place should have advanced protection, like wilderness protection, and should be a place where recreation and adventure and conservation and 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 other aspects of of wilderness character should really be um, held 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 up and 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 supported. And it's interesting, you know, many years later. He becomes a congressman, actually for the district two and in in Colorado. Um, now it's Congressman Nagus, and interestingly, Congress Nagus co-sponsored the Protecting America's yep. Rock Climbing Act. So the representatives for the sort of front range of Colorado, which also includes Rocky Mountain National Park, have been stalwart supporters of of climbing in Rocky Mountain Rocky Mountain National Park because they really understand how inspiring it is and how important it is to the district. But when when Congressman Mark Udall became Senator Mark Udall, um, that's when he introduced um, the bill, the, the 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 wilderness bill, to create um, wilderness in Rocky Mountain National Park. And now it's in like I think it's ninety eight percent. It's in the upper ninety percent um, of of Rocky Mountain National Park is is wilderness. And I think it was really powerful that he wrote an op that he wrote an op ed and is willing to go on the record and say. When I introduced the bill to make Rocky Mountain National Park wilderness, I had no intention of restricting or prohibiting fixed anchors. In fact, this is these are things that are important for people to experience wilderness in the way that I did, in the way I, I sort of imagined people experiencing the wilderness. At the same time, in 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 the in the early 2000s, um, then Congressman polis who who was the congressman for that district he introduced the house version now of course congressman polis is the governor of colorado and he wrote about i think eight months ago a letter to the department of interior and to the department of agriculture and he said the same a similar thing he said look 
when I introduced the bill on the House side for Rocky Mountain National Park, I did not want to restrict fixed anchors or prohibit fixed anchors. I wanted to make sure that people could climb, and that's one of the reasons why I introduced the bill. The reason why this is so important is not just that these leaders um, are speaking on behalf of climbers and, and, and really supporting climbing in wilderness, but it's important because it gives us some insight into congressional intent. These are democratically elected leaders, legislators in the Congress who are saying, this is what wilderness means to us, and this is what congressional intent is. So it's very useful to keep that in mind when we're thinking about this agency proposal to prohibit fixed anchors, because we can say, that's not what Congress intended when they created wilderness areas. And we know this because congressional members are speaking out. So right now we're in this interesting situation, I think, where we have the will of the, clim the climbing community, the American public, and the legislature, the Congress, and it's not in alignment with what a few bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. are saying. So I think that's really important. And then if we extend that even further and we talk to our friends who are climbing rangers, say in the Black Canyon, the Gunnison, or at Rocky Mountain National Park or Yosemite National Park, and we talk to them off the record and we say, what do you think about this? Mostly they don't want, they don't want this, this, this prohibition. So it's really building the story of Congress doesn't want this, line officers, climbing rangers, rangers don't really want this, the climbing community doesn't want this, but, um, but some bureaucrats in D.C. Um, are pushing this policy. Yeah, it's just there's so much support behind this from from different parties and elected officials and uh, historic elected officials, and it seems to be falling on deaf ears a little bit. It's a, it's it's um it's especially inspiring because I you know I spoke about uh, former elected officials Udall and well now Governor Polis. But also current ones, like I mentioned, Congressman Aguse. Mm -hmm. um, we have Congressman Curtis in Utah, who's who's a full-throated supporter of, of of climbing and wilderness. But Senator Hickenlooper of Colorado, I'd say, has really proven to be a big champion, and he's yeah. he's not only supported the climbing community. He's been meeting with us. We we just gave him an award a couple of weeks ago. We had a great meeting with him in his office, and um, he's all in. And he really understands. He's such a balanced sort of diplomatic um, leader, and he really understands um, the need to do what you originally said. And I didn't really speak to that question of how do we keep the community together, the greater community together, so that we can support real conservation, real wilderness in the future. And I think Senator Hickenlooper, maybe more than 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 anyone else really understands that it's important to not only allow people to have these wild experiences in wilderness, but also it's important to make sure that the recreation community and the conservation community stays in lockstep in support of conservation initiatives so that we can support climate change initiatives, wilderness initiatives, you know, land, you know, advanced land designations like monuments and parks and things like that. We do not want to um, tear apart this incredible coalition that's been built over the last decade or 15 years that's really resulted in some of the most profound um, pieces of conservation legislation um, over the last 20 or 30 years. Yeah. Well, since we're on the topic of, of Congress a bit, let's talk about the Park Act, Protect America's Rock Climbing Act, and how that 
fits into the fold here and what that might do if we can get that passed? Yeah, so some people have been asking this sort of chicken and egg question. They're like, did the Park Service and Forest Service issue these proposals a couple of weeks ago because of the legislation that's out there? It's a good question. But in fact, in fact, when we go back and we look at where did this problem start most recently, we can look to um, Joshua Tree National Park and Black Canyon and the Gunnison. And what happened was, is that a few of the bureaucrats in D.C. pushed Joshua Tree and Black Canyon and the Gunnison to, to implement or to propose rather, because they haven't implemented it yet, to propose a prohibition of fixed anchors in those wilderness areas and to, and to, and to propose using the MRA process to provide exceptions for, for some fixed anchors where they decide it's appropriate. So after those proposals came out, and we thought that was really sort of devious to propose this, this, this policy that has national level implications that obviously affects all national parks and public lands to propose these things in a couple national parks instead of at the national level, we thought was, was really problematic. And we knew that, that these sorts of proposals have a tendency to sort of migrate into other public lands. So when we saw those proposals and we recognized this thing has got legs, that's when we started talking with members of Congress um, about the issue and telling them, look, this is really problematic. This is going to affect local economies. It's going to affect the future of conservation. It's impacting appropriate recreation activities in wilderness. It goes against congressional intent. And Congress was, was all on board. And they're like, yeah, we totally agree. So these are congressional members like Senator Barrasso in Wyoming, Senator Manchin in West Virginia, Senator Hickenlooper in Colorado, Congressman Curtis, like I mentioned in Utah, and Congressman Goose in Colorado. These are the, are the, are the leaders, the legislators who really um, had a lot of skin in the game because they have a lot of climbing in their districts and states. And they decided we're going we're gonna to introduce some, some legislation to fix this, to reset the agency proposals so that they do not prohibit fixed anchors. So that is how the Park Act, which is a House of Representatives bill, and that's the Protecting America's Rock Climbing Act, that's how it was born. And Congressman Curtis and, and Congressman Goose wrote this legislation and introduced it to the House of Representatives. And it said that all agencies that manage wilderness are required to establish guidance, national level guidance, and that that guidance is required to be built on the fundamental premise that fixed anchors are appropriate in wilderness. Actually, the first draft of the bill said something a little bit different, and that is that fixed anchors are not prohibited in wilderness. And some people thought that that was a little bit too strong. Um, I think that that's just right, but but that got that got amended to appropriate, and people thought that was certainly um, had this exact same intent, and clearly displayed that Congress um, believes that fixed anchors are appropriate and not prohibited in wilderness. And then on the Senate side, there was already a bill moving through Congress, and that speaks to that question you asked about the the hearing when the Forest Service was asked, "Why are you doing this?" Well, that there was a bill in Congress, and that was actually six or seven years old. And that bill just said, "Hey, the Forest Service has got to establish national level guidance." That's what that bill just said, and that was in a old recreation package from a previous Congress. And that bill on the Senate side got amended by a, an amendment that was introduced by Senator Hickenlooper, which expanded that mandate for 
from just the Forest Service to all agencies that manage wilderness. So it included the Park Service and it included that same language. It said, hey, by the way, you not only have to come up with guidance, but the guidance has to acknowledge that fixed anchors are appropriate in wilderness, both the placement, use, and maintenance of fixed anchors is appropriate in wilderness. So after that, we had House of Representatives bill and a Senate bill, and, and, and we were off to the races. And then eventually those bills are, became part of these recreation packages. And as we know, you know, there's a lot of shenanigans in Congress right now. It's really difficult to pass a single bill. So things get packaged up. So in the Senate, there's a, rec a package of recreation bills that deals with all sorts of recreation policies. And that bill is called the America's Outdoor Recreation Act. And it's passed through Senate committees unit with unanimous consent. So that means no one, not a single senator has opposed it. And then on the House side, um, the, the rec package, and this gets to the Explore Act, um, also passed through its first hearing with uh, unanimously and it's waiting for its next hearing in January. So the Park Act is embedded in this rec greater recreation package in the House called the Explore Act. And we're waiting for the Explore Act to now move through committee. And then um, that's the furthest um, uh, climbing legislation has ever gotten in the history of the United States. And then we hope that this is going to get passed and, 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 um, and signed into law by the president. But we still have this problem because the agencies are playing this game where they believe that these proposals that we first discussed are actually in alignment with the bills. <laughs> and so you can ask why that? Yeah, you're laughing because it, it's silly. So how do you justify a prohibition of fixed anchors with a law that could say fixed anchors are appropriate? And the game is, is that these some bureaucrats are saying, yeah, fixed anchors are prohibited, but we have a, a little exception process to make them allowable. Therefore, they're appropriate. But when would you ever say that with any prohibited thing, activity in wilderness? You would never say that about helicopters. Helicopters are prohibited, but they're actually okay and we have ways to allow them. You, you just wouldn't talk about you know, prohibited activities in that way and fixed anchors should be, should not be lumped into those categories. So that's the conundrum we're, we're, we're in right now. Okay. Real quick. We've talked about the forest service and park service a lot. We have not really talked about the BLM and they didn't come out with any guidance in this because they already came out with something like 15, 16 years ago. That's why they're not a part of this conversation. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, it's a good question. You know, we don't really know why they're not part of the conversation, but they have policy and their policy actually does talk about installations, but does not talk about MRA. So I think they're just waiting to see what happens. I don't think they need to step out on this, but we all need to remember that if these policies get passed for the Forest Service and the Park Service, they will be likely assumed by the BLM and Fish and Wildlife. So, so it's a great question. What's going on with the BLM? And I think they're just kind of standing by and, and, and seeing what's going to happen. Okay, cool. Good to know. Oh man, lots of congressional talk and nuances of how, of how this stuff works. It's a lot. So I hope everyone can comprehend all that. Rewind the episode if you need to, please do, please uh, absorb everything Eric's giving you right now. <laughs> Let's take uh 
let's take a couple of questions I got from some friends. And maybe if you had some specific questions you, you've been getting uh, hit with, we can field those too. But okay. we've talked, we've talked about the MRA a bit. So let's just get a real good definition of what the minimum requirements analysis is. And um, a friend of mine said something to the effect that the Wilderness Act calls for, you know, minimal human imprint. So our fixed anchors minimal. And I was like, oh, this would be a perfect question to kind of get a good a good way to wrap your head around what an MRA is, what that process is. So can we address the MRA stuff some more? The MRA is actually mentioned in the Wilderness Act, you know, and 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 um in the MRA. The minimum requirements analysis is a process through which the administration, the administrators of a wilderness can provide exceptions for prohibited activities. It's as simple as that. It's a way to allow prohibited things, illegal things. And um, that process asks one fundamental question, simple. Is this thing, this prohibited thing required for the administration of the wilderness. So, so when we look at like an, a helicopter for, for wildfire, you would ask that question. We have a wildfire in the wilderness. Is this helicopter required for the administration of the wilderness? So that's, that is the question that would be asked of fixed anchors of, 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 of a bolt or, or a sling around a tree, which you can imagine that how, how different park superintendents and forest supervisors would interpret that question. Is this bolt really required for the administration of the wilderness? So it's a pretty high standard. So that's the MRA. But I think more importantly, your question asks, you know, well, the, 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 wilderness, asks, the wilderness Act says X, and that sets us off into this world of MRA. And what the Wilderness Act is, says is that in section 4C, is and that's the section that lists all the prohibitions in uh, in wilderness and it says that installations structures mechanical transport and that's why mountain bikes are prohibited and motorized equipment and that's why power drills are, are prohibited it says those are the general buckets of things that are prohibited so the way we should be thinking about this is why are people now considering fixed anchors as prohibited installations when over the past 60 years, they have not. So, that, so, so that's the real question is, should fixed anchors be lumped into this installation category? And what were the founders of the Wilderness Act thinking when they wrote that section? What were the types of installations? Were those installations, you know, fences or garbage dumps and signs, you know, they were obviously not thinking about fixed anchors. So is there a limiting principle that says, you know, obviously uh, a piece of lint that falls out of your pocket onto the ground is not an installation, but according to the Park Service now it would be, right? Anything, and they, and they changed their definition recently, actually. So they moved the goalposts. And now the, the, the definition is anything left behind um, that that's 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 human made. So you know a little you know you, you don't want to leave lint in the in the wilderness, but that would be considered under this logic a prohibited installation, and you could I guess be cited for that. So that's so that's the background on 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 how some people are considering you know these bureaucrats in D.C. are considering fixed anchors as it relates to the Wilderness Act, and then how they would consider fixed anchors 
to be either appropriate or not appropriate using this exception tool called the minimum requirement analysis. Awesome. Thank you. I'm so glad that we talked about permanent installations because I wanted to touch on some of the technical terms in the Wilderness Act. And yeah, you listed out examples of what could be considered a permanent installation uh, originally back in you know the 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever. And when I think of permanent installations, I'm thinking of just like what you said, fences, boat docks, maintenance sheds, uh, roads, whatever, you know, not these little things that aren't even visible by the naked eye, usually, unless you're right up against the cliff. Well, the other conundrum is, is that these little things, these fixed anchors, they facilitate many of the things that the Wilderness Act promotes. So there's where, where we're in this really interesting space is that these things allow for primitive and unconfined recreation. These things exactly. allow for self-reliance. These things allow for recreational purposes. So it's not cut and dry. Yeah, 100%. So what's going to happen to existing routes? Will the bolts and other fixed hardware be removed? Another question I was asked. So, all right, so we're talking wilderness now specifically. I know we delved into non-wilderness, um, but that's just the Forest Service proposal. So let's put that aside and let's just think about the proposals, the wilderness proposals for the, from the Forest Service and the Park Service. Existing routes would be allowed to be used in both of those proposals. However, the existing routes, any fixed anchors on those routes would be considered prohibited. So, so we would be allowed to climb these routes, but the fixed anchors themselves would be prohibited. And when the agencies have the resources and the funding to do an MRA, that's when they would go through the process and ask that question, is this route really required, required for the administration of the wilderness? And we might get an answer that says, no, you know, we don't need 22 routes on, on this crag. We, you know, two or enough or whatever, whatever logic some forest supervisor or superintendent who has no idea about climbing would, would, would use. Mm -hmm. um, so existing routes, some many, many placed before the wilderness was designated. So think back to that story about Senator Udall, you know, the, 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 the Rocky Mountain National Park wilderness was designated in 2009. The vast majority of routes on the diamond were established 99% of the routes on Diamond were established before 2009. So, so this would impact existing routes, not just routes that exist today, but routes that existed before wilderness was designated in a location. And even routes that were, that were established before wilderness, the Wilderness Act was passed. So we're talking about routes that were put up in the 50s or the early 60s, um, like at Black Canyon and the Gunnison and, and El Cap. Yep. Um, yep. But those routes would be evaluated and could be removed. The interesting nuance, I think, with the, with this whole question of existing routes is, all right, the, the, the agencies would wait until they have the resources and the money. But what would activate the potential removal of an existing route could be the request for fixed anchor replacement. So if a person said, hey, I, I need to replace this one bolt at, the, at, a, at a belay, you know, 15 pitches up El Cap, that would activate an MRA because this, the MRA is required for existing routes, future routes, and fixed anchor maintenance. So a well-meaning climber could, could ask for approval to replace a fixed anchor on an existing route. The agency could go in and do the MRA analysis and then respond, 
I can't give you the permit to replace the route. And this route is not in alignment with, with, with my concept of wilderness character, and we're going to remove the route. So that is a huge problem and an obstruction to safe climbing. So that's a that's one of the perhaps unintended consequences of these policies that not just creates um, you know um, a, a, a threat to existing climbing routes and America's climbing legacy, but more importantly, this is a huge safety issue. Mm -hmm. This policy has massive safety safety implications. And when I think about my kid going out and climbing in the future, I'm thinking about is she going to be able to use safe fixed anchors and is she going to be able to experience the wilderness in the same way that the folks in the 1970s experienced it and i'm really afraid for the safety of future climbers based on this ill-conceived proposal so the mra is focused on already prohibited uses like you said helicopters power drills chainsaws and then those might get exempted based on the MRA analysis and process. It's like now bolts and fixed hardware are now guilty and proven until proven innocent is like this new interpretation. That's a great way sector. to put it, Pete. And, <laughs> and I think the other way to put it is, is that the standard is flipped on its head. Mm -hmm. So today, because this proposal is not implemented yet, today right. fixed anchors are allowable and legal until they're proven to negatively impact raptors or, or, or negatively impact cultural resources. This new proposal flips it on its head and says all fixed anchors are prohibited until we can make an administrative exception based on the question, is this required for the administration of the wilderness? So it completely flips the management paradigm on its head. What are the questions? What are the questions that you've been getting asked? Any other like kind of one-on-one or basic things you want to share with us before we start kind of wrapping up? Yeah, let's, I mean, I think the big question is what do, what do, what do people do now? Where, where do we go from here? Yeah, what's next? That was what's my last next? question. What's next? So, um, right. So we've got these bills in Congress and we've got this situation where we have a proposal that was issued at the same time that the bills are moving through Congress and the agencies are saying, we like our proposal. We think this is in alignment with congressional intent, which is clearly not, clearly not. So um, there's a couple different options. Maybe the maybe the Congress will decide to tighten up the bills and make it so that it's their intent is more clear. Um, you know, and 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 that's and and that's that that's a possibility. Or maybe they just pass the bills as is and keep pressing. Um, the agencies um, to 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 um, to revise their their proposals. So we have this 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 we have things to do in Congress, and it's really important for the climbing community to keep encouraging the con their congressional representatives to support these bills, to move the rec package forward, to try to get a bill to be passed into law, which is as we know very difficult in itself, let alone something like this. So that's on the in the Congress. What can people do um, with respect to these proposals? Well, the most important thing that people can do is to submit comments. So you can go to the Access Fund website and you go to the little drop down where it says act, act now, and then you'll see there's an action alert and it provides you a briefing of the issue, some suggested talking points. And, and really this is a pretty complicated um, uh, comment process because you gotta actually go into the Forest Service comment portal, 
submit your comments. Then you have to go into the Park Service comment portal, portal and submit your comments. It's happening during holiday season. It's pretty messed up that all this is happening, you know, during holiday season when 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 people um, are busy. And we really need um, climbers to think about this carefully and, and assemble their comments in a way that's really productive and saying, no, you shouldn't prohibit these things. You should actually manage them in a different way. But we're asking people to submit comments. So go to the Access Fund website, fill out you know the comments and 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 use the access fund action alert to help guide you that's really important right now because we are in a comment period this is not a done deal and that's the most important thing that the climbing community can do is, is weigh in on this and make sure that the agencies understand these nuances that they may have not considered this is going to create massive safety issues with respect to bolt um fixed anchor uh, maintenance this is going to have serious implications with regard to America's climbing legacy. And I don't want to see, you know, the, the, the possibility of important routes in wilderness being erased. And the third thing is people need to think about the future exploration of wilderness and the incredible opportunities that we have to have adventures in the wilderness and use judicious fixed anchors to get off a cliff in the middle of nowhere. And that's something I think that's really unique to the America's to America's wilderness and America's climbing experience. So I think it's important also to maybe latch on to that um, that talking point um, and provide your personal experience um, with that with 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 that issue. So there's yeah. a lot of things that that the climbing community can comment on. And the most important thing is submit comments, go to the Access Fund site, fill out the action alert and be part of the solution. Yeah. All right. This is not a NEPA process. I mean, did they have to require, do they even have to open this to comment or can they like, this is kind of a nice opportunity for us that wasn't necessarily, you know, required by a law. It is, is that interesting right? that on the forest service side, they actually were required to, to, to open it up for comments, but in the, but okay. the park service was not required. It's okay. interesting that this policy is not like a, it's not a director's order. This is actually a reference manual, the park service. It's a, it's a lower level guidance for how to implement climbing policy. So they are not required to accommodate um, an opportun opportunities for public comment. So give them some props for opening it up. You know, the Park Service wants to hear from you. I believe that the Park Service intends um, to, to, to do the best they can. They support climbing. Um, they are, they're just making some, some, some bad decisions and maybe don't understand the unintended consequences. So, that's a great point. You know, we we're, we're lucky that they were generous enough to provide us with opportunities for comment. I wish it wasn't over the holiday season, <laughs> but at least there are opportunities for the climbing community to weigh in and to call out some of the features of these proposals that are really problematic for our community. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Seize that opportunity. Take advantage. Uh, the comment period's opened up until January sixteenth, so we do have a couple weeks uh, into the new year after the holidays to get your comments in. So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be pushing that pretty hard. I'm gonna formulate something very uh, coherent to submit myself, and I hope everyone does else as well. Yeah. Just one thing to add to that: we had a bunch of organizations and, and climbers. Um, submit requests for an extension on the comment period. We'd like it to go beyond okay. so the holiday season. So we'll keep everyone, so everyone planned for January 16th, but there is a possibility that it could get extended 30 days or so or to a couple weeks. So okay. we'll keep you in the loop, but, but please try to get them in before January 16th. Thanks for submitting comments, Pete. 
And yeah. uh, I hope other people follow your lead. Yeah, you bet. All right, Eric. Thanks so much, man. I love talking to you. Uh, you're just a wealth of knowledge and I appreciate everything you can disseminate upon us and uh, get us kind of moving in the right direction. Thanks so much for chatting this morning. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for thanks for talking about this um, important issue. And uh, hey, have a good holiday season. It's good yep. chatting with you. Yeah, likewise. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I, I really hope you all enjoy this show as much as I enjoy making it. It's a lot of fun putting this together each month for you all to tune in and listen to. So thanks so much for listening. Before you depart, I want to run a few things by you. I started the show to bolster the efforts that these advocates do year after year, and of course, to support the mission of Access Fund. So I'd like to ask you to either donate or better yet, become a member of Access Fund. Your support and membership goes a long way to help them with their mission of conserving, stewarding, and advocating for climbing. There are varying levels that you can that you can become a member at, but you can get started for as low as 20 bucks a year, and after that, you can reap all kinds of awesome benefits with first getting a free t-shirt and getting amazing discounts on some of the best climbing products out there. It's all listed on Access Fund's website, accessfund.org, so check it out. If you're a rock climber, please consider becoming a member of Access Fund. Second, if you want to do me a huge solid, please subscribe to the show and leave a glowing review and comment on Apple Podcasts. After that, jump on those social media channels and share it with your friends. It goes a long, long way, and I'd greatly appreciate if you help me out with that one. So thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it, and I'll catch you all next time.